So in Romans chapter 12 this morning, we are continuing in our series, our fourth week uh, today, in our series on being transformed. Now, so far, um, and you can go back and look at all these online, but kind of bring you up to date. So far, we've looked at the idea of transformation and, and what that means, and that we're, we as Christians are to live a life of transformation, and that transformation comes by the renewing of our mind, and that is a continual process. It doesn't just happen once and then stop. It is something that as, we're, as we walk through life in our Christian faith, it is a daily, uh, a daily transformation that has taken place in our life. And then a couple of weeks ago, we started looking at how, um, how uh, someone who's being um, transformed by the renewing of their mind how that looks on the outside, because someone who's being transformed, there's going to be an outer change that's going to be evident. And so we started looking at some of these evidences a couple weeks ago. The first one is uh, in how we, uh, how we look at ourselves, how we view ourselves, And what that means is, is Paul talks about in Romans 12, is that we're to look at ourselves soberly with, with proper or balanced judgment. We're not to think of ourselves too highly. We're not to be get up, built up with pride and arrogance. We're also not to think of ourselves too low. We're to remember that, that we are loved by God so much that he sent his son to die for us. And so we have infinite value because of Jesus. So we don't need to think of ourselves too high, but we also don't need to think of ourselves too low. And then last week we saw the second uh, revealing of someone who's being renewed uh, is that um, in how we love other believers, that as Christians, we're called to love our fellow believers. So today, we're going to continue by looking at the third outward uh, revealing of someone who's being transformed. So if you have your Bibles open to Romans 12, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. And we're going to read Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 11 and read down through verse 13. The Word of God says in Romans 12, verse 11, "...not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given hospitality." Let's pray. God, I pray today as we examine your Word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us individually where we need to be spoken to. I pray that I would decrease and that your Spirit living in me would increase and that the words that be shared today would be yours and not mine. Father, and I pray that as we encounter your word this morning, that it will make an eternal difference in our lives, that we will not leave this place the same as we were when we came in because we've been face to face with a risen Savior in his word that has taught us something new, uh, challenged us, comforted us, uh, encouraged us, um, Father, or even convicted us through his word. And therefore, when we leave, we'll be forever changed. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In my ministry, and I, um, in a month, I will celebrate my 19th year in church ministry in March. Uh, and in my ministry, I have discovered that there are many reasons why people serve the Lord. Um, and I want to give you some of them. Some serve the Lord because they're called to serve the Lord. They have a calling on their life. I, for example, I can tell you that I was called to the Lord in the ministry 
July 26, 1996, at False Creek in the First Baptist Church. We woke his cabin. I can show you exactly where I was when God spoke to me and called me into his ministry. And there are people that serve the Lord out of a calling, and we ought to thank God for them. But I want you to know there's other reasons that I've discovered that some people serve the Lord. Uh, there are some that serve the Lord for the accolades or for the fame that comes with it. Um, I have met people that are not so much interested in really serving the Lord. They are more interested in building a following of people. So they want the pat on the back or the encouragement. I've also met people uh, that have ser that serve the Lord out of money. Money is their, their driving factor. Now, now, I'm still trying to figure out where you make a lot of money in ministry. Not that I'm poor because you guys take good care of us. But uh, I'm still trying to figure out how you make a lot of money in ministry. But I want you to know, it's not just in ministry, it's in religion. As a matter of fact, the founder of Christian Science is quoted as saying, if you want to be wealthy, the easiest way to become wealthy is to start your own religion. Okay? There is money in religion. Okay, And because people are searching for things, they're searching for answers. And if you pretend to know the answers or write a book that sounds good, you're going to sell a lot of copies. So there are some that serve for money purposes. Some feel uh, serve because they feel like they have to, like they don't have any other choice. Like, I, I don't have a choice. I have to serve the Lord. There's some that, that serve out of family pressure, that um, they have been pressured or, or told that that is what they're supposed to do. And for fear of letting down their parents or their grandparents or some, whoever raised them, uh, they go into the ministry even though they're not called. Uh, they do it because of family pressure. I've, I've met some that do it out of guilt, out of guilt. They're, they feel guilty, and so they serve the Lord. Um, and then there are some who I believe serve out of an overwhelming love for God. They just serve because they can't get past the love of God for them, and they have an overwhelming love for him. So there are a lot of reasons why people serve the Lord, and the truth of the matter is each and every one of us as believers in Christ are to be servants of the Lord. We all have a ministry. We all have something we're supposed to do. Uh, Paul would write about it in one of his letters when he said uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we were, uh, that, that we were created as, as his workmanship, uh, created for a purpose that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So every believer in Christ has a purpose God wants to use and a service. As a matter of fact, in Romans 12, if you'll go back and read the beginning, right after he talks about being transformed and how that is through the renewing of our mind and talks about how we view ourselves, he immediately goes into, uh, into some service gifts and how each Christian has been given a gift in order to use to serve the Lord. And so we all have a ministry. We all have something that we're supposed to do. And in Romans chapter 12, the, I believe the third thing that he reveals to us that uh, will happen in our lives when we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind is it will affect our service for God. But for that to take root in our lives this morning, the first thing we all need to understand is we all have a service to render to God. All of us have a ministry that God wants to use. Now, it may not be preaching. It may not be leading worship. It may not be a youth pastor. It may not be a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or singing in a choir or on a praise team. That may not be your ministry, but I guarantee you at some point, God has a ministry for you to do. And in order for you to do it in the way that reveals a mind that's being renewed, he gives us some truths here that I want us to see. You know, one of my favorite hymns uh, in the scripture and, and one that I have been 
um, I've been humming, uh, singing all week long when I was writing this message. Uh, and it, it is the, the title of the message, by the way, is Serve the Lord with Gladness. I love that hymn. Serve the Lord with gladness in his works. And okay, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to sing much more than that. But, you know, that, I love that hymn. I love what it talks about. And if you go, it's, it's hymn 495, by the way, if you want to look it up. But the verses of that um, have some incredible truths about how we view our service to the Lord. Because it's not about making money. It's not about getting pats on the back. It's not about um, feeling guilt or, or any of those things. Um, no matter what it is, the reason why we serve, we're all to serve, and we need to do so with gladness. And I think Paul actually lines out exactly what it takes or what needs to happen when our minds are being renewed and we're being transformed and how that affects our service this morning. And I really want to point out two things to you uh, this morning about our attitude of service. The first one is our attitude, our service attitude. Okay, now, I, I'm, I'm a fan of food. Um, if you can't tell, I haven't missed many meals in my life. I like to eat, and I thought one of the things that would be beneficial to moving to a town like Walika was I would stop eating out so much because it's just not convenient. You have to actually drive uh, to go out to eat unless you want to, you know, have lunch down at Outlaws or something. But if you want just something fast, you have to drive. And I found that um, the first month or so it was pretty easy, and then after that I've realized that hey, it's only like 10 minutes over there, so maybe 15, depending on the speed that you go, and you can get over there and back, you know, quickly, and so I, I like to eat, and, um, uh, but probably the best thing for me so far is that uh, they haven't built a Chick-fil-A uh, closer than like 40, 45 minutes. Now, I like Chick-fil-A, but it's not just because of their food. I like their food, but I think Chick-fil-A is the greatest example of service attitude when it comes to food service in our country. I love the fact that when you go to Chick-fil-A, it's always, uh, how can I help you? Um, they're, they're, very, they're very caring. They're very, um, um, they, they, they have an attitude of, of I, I call it uh, service with a smile, okay? Like, it's my pleasure to serve you. How may I serve you today? You know, just the way they respond when you walk in, they're smiling. They, they, now, they may not be happy, but they look happy, okay? And I love how the fact that when you, when you answer and you say, thank you, and they're like, my pleasure, I just love their attitude of service. Now, they have great food, but I'll just go there because I like being treated that way. I think it's a positive environment, and I think that's why a lot of people go there as well. But here... here I want you to, to notice something this morning. We as believers, I think there are certain attitudes that need to exist in our, in our service to the Lord that our text reveals to us that comes when our minds are being renewed. There are two of them. The first one is diligence. Go back and look at verse 11. He says, not lagging in diligence. We'll start with that one, not lagging in diligence. Now, the word lagging uh, in the Greek means to be lazy, slow-moving, uh, sluggish, lethargic, uh, hesitating, delaying, or even complacent. Okay, so the, the word lagging basically means to be sluggish, slow-moving, or lazy. 
The word diligence, now we use that word, but it's not really the same way. Like when we say diligence, it's always about um, making sure you take your time, uh, you don't miss anything. Like I tell my kids, when they take a test, slow down, make sure you don't skip anything, make sure you don't leave an answer blank. So you take a test, you're, you're diligent to make sure you get everything done. But the word diligence there uh, in the Greek means earnestness or energy or zeal, if you will, um, or an energetic effort. So what's being said and what Paul is saying here is that when we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, the attitude of our service will be diligent. It will not be lacking diligence. So what he's saying is that our service and our attitude of service will not be lazy will not be slow-moving, will not be sluggish, it will not be lethargic, it will not be uh, hesitating, it will not be delaying, it'll be energetic, it'll have energy and zeal behind it. We need to have zeal. Now, when it comes to our service, what he's saying is we can't approach it with an attitude of lackadaisical, easygoing, slow-moving energy. Now, why is that? Why is it that we can't afford to approach our service to God in, in such a way that's lazy or lackadaisical or, or slow-moving or sluggish? Why can't we? Well, here's the reason why, and we need to grasp this this morning. It's because there are millions of people every day slipping off into eternity separated from God. Just think about that for a moment. You see, sin is a rampant problem, and we see the effects of sin every day all the way around us. That's why there's pain in the world. That's why there's suffering in the world. That's why there's sickness in the world. That's why there's death in the world. It's because of sin, and the world is reeling from sin. And every day, there are millions of people that are taking their last breath here and their first breath in an eternity. And unless they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're taking a first breath of eternity separated from him with no chance to ever be brought back into a relationship with him. Now, that's why we can't approach service lazily or lackadaisical. It's too important. You see, in heaven, we're going to get to enjoy lots of things, and I'm excited about a lot of them. Uh, matter of fact, if you, if you can't sing praise to God on this earth, I don't know how you're going to make it in heaven because we're going to do an awful lot of that, Okay. We're going to get to sing, we can sing praise to God here, we get to sing praise to God in heaven. We get to fellowship with other believers here, we're going to get to fellowship with other believers in heaven. But you know, when we get to heaven, there'll be no more evangelism. There'll be no more opportunity to share Christ with people. And Paul says that when your mind is being transformed, it's going to reveal itself in how you view yourself and how you love others, but it's also going to reveal itself in your attitude towards your service that you're rendering. Not only does he talk about uh, an attitude of, of diligence, but secondly, he tells us that we are to look, at, look back at verse 11, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit. We're to be fervent in the spirit. Now, that word fervent means literally, when you boil it down, the root word of the word fervent in Greek means to boil or to be hot or to be a flame, okay? And, and the word spirit that he talks about there is, is talking about, it defines um, the power by which we feel, think, act, and decide. So it's our spirit. It's our, or you could say it like this, our heart, our emotion. Uh, that, it's, the, it's the 
principle, the vital principle by which we are animated. It's the principle by which we make decisions, the principle by which we think or decide or feel. Okay, And so what Paul is saying to the people is this, a transformed mind leads to an attitude of service that is fervent, that is hot, that is boiling in our spirit for Christ. Hot in our service for Christ. We will have a holy zeal for him in our spirit. Again, why is that important? It's important because if you haven't noticed in life something, you're going to notice this. If your spirit's not in it, your actions won't be either. I've heard it like this before. If you're, if you're an athlete, you've probably heard it like this. If your heart's not in it, your body won't follow. Now, I had a, I had a friend of mine that I went to school with. He moved in uh, to Wewoka uh, when we were going into our junior year. And um, big, big kid, big athletic kid. Um, and ended up signing out of high school, signed with the University of Tulsa to play uh, defensive tackle. He's 6'4", 275, 280, pretty good-sized kid, good athlete. Uh, played at Tulsa, went up there, thought he'd redshirt and was better than everybody. Ended up starting as a true freshman at University of Tulsa. Um, I think he was in the top five in tackles that year for their entire team. He was a really, really good football player. But through that freshman year up there, even though he was starting and doing things well, he was getting closer to the girl he had dated back home. She was a little younger. She was going to be graduating. And, and he decided that, you know, I just don't know that I want to play football right now. I really I want to start a family. And so he did. He, he, he dropped out of school and, and uh, or stopped playing football, married, and, and, and kind of got started that way. And a couple years later, when we were juniors and I was at East Central, he called me and asked me about playing football at East Central. And I told him, I said, oh, well, I can tell you right now, we'd love to have you because he was going to step foot on campus and start. That's just, we knew, I knew that because I'm playing against these guys and he was better than all of them on the defensive line. So I was like, yeah, man, move down here because we'd love to have you on our team. And he did. And he, he was married and they got him set up. They got a scholarship. And they moved him into married student housing. Everything was going well until the first day of two days. And he comes out there, and he gets his equipment. It's all checked out. And we go out on the field, and we're stretching. And about halfway through our individual drills, which is the first thing you do after stretching, I looked up, and he's walking off the field. And I was like, where are you going? And I, I couldn't leave and go find out what he was doing, so I had to look him up later. I said, well, what in the world? And he just said, you know, I, I just I got to thinking, my heart's just not in it anymore, and I can't make myself do it. And he quit. He never played football again. Listen, when your heart's not in it, your body's not going to be in it either. And the same is true in our service for the Lord. If our heart is not a fire for God, if it's not boiling over in zeal for Christ, I can guarantee you our service is not going to be there. We're not going to want to serve because we have no, we have no passion we have, no, we have no drive, if you will. And so Paul says, listen, when you're being renewed, when you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, it affects the attitude by which you serve. Number one, it, it makes you be diligent in your effort, so you give energy to it. But it also, in your spirit, you, you, you become on fire for Christ, and you begin to serve with a zeal for him. Now listen, sometimes this is easy. Sometimes serving Christ, serving God, serving in the ministry, doing what God has called you to do is easy. When things are going great, it's easy to serve God, sometimes with passion, with zeal, and with energy. But sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes serving God is, is, is hard. 
Sometimes there are problems that come up and you have to handle them. One of the best pieces of advice I was given by a fellow pastor was this, and it was before I moved here. He said, sometimes when you're a pastor, you just have to put your big boy pants on and handle problems. You know, I, I didn't know until I became a senior pastor what kind of problems those were. I thought I did. Matter of fact, Jen and I have went back to the pastor we had at Lone Grove and apologized because we thought we knew what he went through. And then I became a pastor and was like, man, I didn't know. And I went to him and he just laughed. He's like, until you've been there, you don't know. And, and he was like, here's the thing. And I, I had to apologize and, because sometimes when those problems happen and they're there and you see it and you're dealing with it and you're responsible for it, it's not easy. And sometimes you just want to say, you know what, I... I, don't, I can't do this anymore. And listen, when you have no passion and no zeal and no energy, it's a lot easier to quit than when you have passion and zeal and energy because that sees you through those hard times. So we, our service to the Lord will actually be affected by being transformed in, in that kind of way. But um, here's the thing. When we are always to serve the Lord, I think, out of an attitude of energy, enthusiasm, and energetic effort in our hearts and our physical uh, efforts and in our spirit, but, but I think he goes a little further also in our text and, and gives us some ways that that can happen. And I call this um, our services focus. Because, and, when I, and this is the second thing we're going to talk about today. What I'm talking about is the idea of what, what, what is it we can focus on that will help us not be distracted or be brought down by those hard times? What is it we can focus on that allows us to continue to be passionate and to be energetic in our efforts and hot in our spirit or aflame in our spirit for Christ. And I think he lines out three of them in our text, three vital aspects uh, to, to our focus. Now, I want you to know, when it comes to service for the Lord, where our focus lies is going to be vital to accomplishing our service. Because when we're trying to accomplish something as grand, and I want you to know serving the Lord, no matter what area it is, it doesn't matter if you're preaching or driving a van, okay? It doesn't matter if you're leading worship or if you're just walking kids around at vacation Bible school. It doesn't matter where you're serving the Lord, but when you serve the Lord, it is a grand adventure and it is a grand service that you're doing. And when it comes to accomplishing that, it's important that we stay focused because the quickest way to being distracted and knocked off track is to lose our focus. Would we all agree with that? Losing our focus it, it caused you to be distracted. A few years back, um, my son, and I say a few years back, it, it was maybe three years ago, I think, he was, he was desperate to uh, learn how to drive my golf cart, okay? And, uh, and, I, and I had one over at the house, and he wanted to learn how, and so I was like, yeah, you can do that, and he was driving around out here in the parking lot, and I'd give him some pointers, and I, got to, I just told him, you know, don't get out on the street, don't go anywhere. Where well, he asked me, he said, hey, can I drive it over on the big grass lot behind the church? I said, yeah, you can drive it over there. Just don't get anywhere near the road. You know, just make a circle through the parking lot, come back. And I was watching him when I felt like he had it down. I let him go. And I went back around <laughs> to the garage. And, uh, and then the next thing I know, I'm in the backyard and I hear Galen come around screaming. And uh, Garen wrecked. And I ran over there. And, uh, and here's what happened. Garen was driving the golf cart and he was doing really well until he saw his mother coming home from the post office. And he was so proud, and he's driving the golf cart, and he looks up and sees his mama. And he's still a-going, and he's a-looking, and he's no longer focused on what he is doing. He is locked in to his mama. You see me, I'm big, I'm driving, look at what I'm doing, and then boom, 
he hit the side of the church back here in the fellowship hall. Now, uh, if you're a couple of adults and neither one of them are here, I'd say don't laugh because just in the last week we had an adult hit the church. And a couple years ago we had an adult drive a van into one of our trash cans. So don't make fun of the kids. But he did. He ran my golf cart. He didn't hurt anything, uh, but he ran the golf cart into the side of the church, and it scared him. He thought he was going to get a beating like I beat my kids. But, but the thing of it was he lost focus, and when he lost focus, he got distracted. When he got distracted, he wrecked. Now, in our service for Christ, if we lose focus, the same thing is we're in danger of the same thing. We lose focus. And so he goes about, I believe he lines out three specifics that help us. Look, look actually in verse 12. So in verse 11, he says, don't lag in diligent, fervent spirit serving the Lord. That's, by the way, how I know he's talking about service, because he, he says, don't lag in diligence, be fervent in the spirit while you're serving the Lord. Then look at verse 12. As a continual thought, he says three things. Number one, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Now, the word hope there is found 54 times in the New Testament and is almost exclusively used in dealing with the joyful, confident expectation of our salvation. So Paul is saying one of the ways that we stay focused is by focusing on the expectation of our salvation. Now, how does that help us stay focused? How does that help us stay passionate, stay energetic in our efforts and aflame in our spirit, Christ, by staying focused on our salvation? Well, here's the thing. Nothing we're going to face, there's no trial, no problem, no distraction, nothing that we're going to face that will ever come close to the knowledge of our salvation because our salvation is sure. Listen to how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, our light and momentary trials are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So our salvation is more grand, more beautiful, more perfect, more valuable than any distraction or any trial or any problem that we're going to face. You see, the believer who's being transformed understands that we, are, we can serve with confidence because there's nothing we're going to encounter that ever comes, compares to the hope of our salvation. Our salvation is sure. And th that trial I'm facing, that problem I'm facing, it may even take my life from me. Like, that's, it could, it could take your life. In this day, it literally could take their life by serving Christ. In our day, it may be a sickness, it may be a pain, it may be something. It can literally take our physical life, but it can't touch our salvation. And look, notice what he says. We don't just focus on this hope in any, in just a random way. He tells us how. Rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. You see, our salvation is sure, and when we focus on our salvation and the surety of it, we ought to be able to rejoice about it. No matter what stands in front of us, no matter what it is in front of us, we ought to be able to rejoice because of our salvation. Number two, he says not only by focusing on our salvation, but look at number two. There's another way we focus, by being patient in our tribulation. Look at it in verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Now, one of the quickest ways to lose focus and hurt or destroy your diligence and your fervency is, is how you react to tribulation. And there's some this morning that need to understand this fact as well. Tribulation is a sure thing for a Christian. There, there's no one in this room that's a believer in Christ that's going to get out of tribulation. Matter of fact, Jesus tells us, be sure of this, in this world you will have trouble. I don't know how many, I really don't know how much more clear he can be. Be sure, while you're alive, you're going to have trouble. 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. And, and what Paul says is we need to be patient when these tribulations come. They're going to come, and how we respond to them shows a great deal about our fo focus. And so Paul tells us that if we're being transformed, it will be evident in our service. And for that to happen, we have to stay focused by being patient in tribulation. Now, that word patient literally means to endure or to persevere or to bear bravely and calmly. Now, I don't know about you, when, but when tribulation comes my way, I don't necessarily like doing it the calm and, and, and calm way. I, I'm more of the let's run our way and get through this as fast as we possibly can. But here's the truth. Running through valleys is a quick way to get yourself hurt or get frustrated and quit. I like the way David says it, and I think it's, I think it's actually... Uh, something that gets overlooked a lot. I've preached it before. But David in Psalm 23, when he's talking about uh, being, uh, we, we hear the Psalm 23 at funerals all the time. But listen to what he says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, the valley of the shadow of death is a literal valley. But notice how he says, I walk, not run through the valley. Because valleys are dangerous, and, and, when, and, and, and in valleys, it's easy to lose your focus. It's easy to get distracted. There's all kinds of things that can hinder you, and it's important to stay patient in those times. Don't lose heart. Don't, don't start trying to run through it. Don't try to do those things. Why? Because they're dangerous, and you can't afford to make mistakes or worse, throw up your hands and just quit. And the bulk of the people I know that have quit in the ministry have all quit in the valley. Pastors are leaving their ministries at an alarming rate. And when I say leaving their ministry, like, I'll be honest with you, there's times where I think, yeah, maybe I want to do something a little bit different, but, but I've never wanted to stop preaching the Word of God ever. But when I say leaving the ministry, I'm talking about people that are, are throwing in the towel and they don't want to have anything to do with the ministry again. Like, many of them don't even go to church anymore. That, that type of quitting. And it's happening in an alarming way. And you know, when most of them do that, it's in a valley. I notice that they don't leave the ministry when things are going well. It's always in a valley. It's always when things are hard or when things are bad. Or I, I've had pastors, and I've, I've experienced it, the, the Monday morning dilemma where I've never went this far, but I know pastors that have written out their resignation letters on Monday morning because sometimes Sundays are so disheartening. Now, I've been, I've been, I've had some disheartening Mondays, but I've never written out a resignation letter, just so you know. But there are pastors that do. And every week, they sit there and they write this out, and then they fight all week. Do I, do I need to give this to the church? Why? We leave because when, when tribulation comes, instead of staying patient and staying faithful, we get distracted, we try to run through it, then we make mistakes, and we fall even further, or we just throw up our hands and quit. And Paul says, no, stay patient. In tribulation. And then the third one and the last one, he says, be constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. In my ministry, I've come to be amazed at the service efforts of some, and I've found myself here from time to time, where our service e efforts go on, a, go on and are there, but have no prayer behind them. But here's the thing. Throughout the New Testament, when it comes to service, you're never going to find an instance of our of true service to God that is intended to happen without prayer. But instead, we're exhorted over and over to allow our service to be led by prayer. But notice also that Paul isn't talking about random hit and miss prayer either. Oh, I pray. I pray once a week. 
uh, I pray every morning, or I pray, you know, once a day, or whatever. Look at what he says. Constant in prayer. A life that is marked by prayer. Not hit and miss, and not random, but very constant, all the time, constantly attentive to prayer. Very simply, I think our fervency and our diligence of our service is directly influenced by our focus on prayer, and without it, I believe it's impossible to stay focused. Why? Because I believe prayer is what aligns our heart to God's heart. I believe that it is prayer that puts us on God's track and not our own. You know, so many times we, we get out and we want to serve the Lord, and we don't seek God's face, and so we get out and we might be doing good things, but we not be, might not be doing the great thing. It's one of the things I ask people all the time when they come and they want, they want conference with me about, well, I'm doing this for God, and I'm not sure if, if, I, if God may be calling me to do this. I'm not sure. I, I need to know. I, and one of the things I ask them is you have to decide, is this a good thing for God or a great thing for God? Because you can fill your life up doing with good things for God. They're good things, but it may not be the great thing he has for you. And so that's a decision you have to make. And the only way that's going to happen is through prayer. And so we have to be effective. We have to be constant in our prayer. And see, I believe as believers, we're to live a life of transformation that comes by the renewing of our mind. I believe that when our minds are being renewed, it is visible on the outside by how we view ourselves. I believe it's visible in how we love fellow believers. And then I believe, thirdly, it is viewed by how we view and how we serve with eagerness and energy, with fervorance, with with, um, passion in our spirit. And those things happen by keeping our focus. And our focus is kept by rejoicing in hope. Our salvation is sure no matter what comes our way. By being patient in the troubles that we're sure to encounter and by being constant in prayer.